right, welcome back to the Sours Collection. I'm Michael Coleman, and I'm so excited to talk with the creative team behind Zenimation. If you're not familiar with Zenimation, it's a show on Disney Plus. It's two of my favorite things: sound and Disney. I'm so excited to have executive producer Amy Astley with us today. Amy, welcome. It's great to be here, Michael. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, David Best, the our editor and creator of Zenimation. Thanks, Michael. Good to be here. Sound designer Shannon Mills. Thank you. Nice to be here. And re-recording mixer David Floor. Great to have you all here. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. So um, maybe I'll start with David. Give some context. How are you involved with Disney? What's your history with Disney? And when did the light bulb go on for you to create this show? Sure. And creator is a very um, generous term because <laughs> I'm basically taking the work of countless artists and technicians from you know, the beginning of uh, Walt's Animation Studios with the first feature, Snow White, up until our most recent one, Raya and the Last Dragon. So, um, but as a editor for our, our marketing department here inside the, the actual studio, um, uh, you know, I, I mostly cut uh, internal uh, promotional sizzle pieces, you know, things to kind of get the company excited about, about the movies that are coming up. And, you know, uh, I'm always kind of like excited and looking for excuses to showcase the, uh, the legacy of our films. Um, and uh, so this this one in particular was a real treat because, you know, you get to go through and and uh, pull clips from all of these spectacular films. What was the aha moment for you? What, what inspired you to, to do this? Well, it was a couple of things. There was a need to come up with some sort of new material for um, Walt Disney Animation Studios booth at the exhibit floor of the D23 Expo a few years ago. And uh, at that booth, you know, it's again, it's on the exhibit floor. So there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of people around, a lot going on. And, um, uh, you know, it just occurred to me, like, I wonder if there's something that we could do that would be a little more calm and peaceful, something that kind of is almost counter-programming to what you would see there. And uh, around that time, I was kind of also just fascinated with ASMR videos and um, just kind of the whole idea of sound, you know, that, that you know, sound could, could cause a reaction in you that could be relaxing, things that you wouldn't think would be relaxing, like someone combing their hair. Um, and um, I've also just always been a big, fan and had a kind of a particular fondness for long takes in our films, uh, establishing shots, scenic shots, those, those shots that really showcase the, you know, just the incredible worlds that these artists create. And, um, and then one more little tiny thing was, uh, uh, it's just kind of noticing that when you turn off the dialogue and music on these films, you suddenly are much more aware of the soundscape and then rich, uh, sound design that goes into them. So it's kind of a combination of all those things. So, David, when you took this idea, did you go to Amy next, or how, how do you? How does one pitch <laughs> a 
crazy, and I say crazy in the most endearing <laughs> way, a crazy idea like this? When we initially did it for D23 Expo, um, we just kind of did it. And then uh, I'll probably let Amy answer this because she, after after we used it at D23, then she kind of took it from there. Well, I think you're already seeing from David his love of the history of Disney animation and our respect for the legacy. I feel the very same way. This was the place I dreamt of working when I was a little kid, and I'm lucky enough to head up our publicity department and head up our unscripted efforts and our animation research libraries, our archives. And I just feel like the luckiest person to get to work in all of this. And I feel like David shares that love so much. So he was just showing me this, and it's a snippet he created for this booth television monitor, um, <laughs> right? And it was a scene from Frozen 1 with Kristoff and Anna walking through the forest and all the trees are covered in, in, in ice and they make this beautiful sound. And I had watched that film a million times and I had really never noticed that sound as prominently as it sounded when he had taken out the music and the dialogue and you're only hearing these beautiful sound effects. And um, it was a scene and he was already calling it Zenimation, but it was a scene. And I had met with a wonderful guy, Jordan Gilbert over at Disney Plus, who was saying they were looking for things that were unusual. They were looking for things that might be helpful to families when they watch Disney Plus to be entertaining, but also perhaps be something that could be used for mindfulness. And I immediately grabbed Jordan and said, you're coming down the hall with me to meet David S. And David put on this Frozen One Zenimation clip and David Bess and I over the next few weeks figured out, could this be a series? And in fact, we realized there was an abundance of these very special moments in our films that you could put together in very clever montages. And if you watch them, especially an episode like Flight from season one, the way David puts these scenes together is an art form unto itself. He's very humble. He won't say that himself. So I'm glad I'm here to say it um, and, and really create a series out of this. So David and Shannon, um, when Amy and, and David reached out to you to propose this idea, where do your minds go? Because both of you have had extensive experience in, in history working on Disney projects, Marvel, uh, Pixar. I mean, the whole gamut of, of, of D the Disney family. Yeah. What did you guys think, David? What, what was your first impressions? Well, I, you know, thinking about those times also that we were in at the beginning of the pandemic, um, it just seemed like the perfect complement to offering people some quality time and quality space where, you know, because there was a lot of stress with what was going on with the lockdowns and people, you know, not knowing what was going to happen. And, uh, and, you know, we're just coming out of it now, but back then it was, it was very stressful and people, you know, the idea that we could, create this thing for people, which is really what the Disney brand is, what we're all about is, you know, is that storytelling, uh, which is really unique. The opportunity to do that, first of all, was yes, jump on whatever we can do. The other part of it is to showcase the sonic soundscapes of our movies when, you know, we all in the sound world are very conscious of uh, the awareness of, you know, sound in the movies and people always know when it's not there or it's bad. But here we have 
Uh, here we have the opportunity to really put the spotlight on, and if you look at the credits of uh, what's at the end of each of the episodes or, or the long play that's strung together, you're seeing names of people that are just iconic sound designers and creators of, of emotional, beautiful moments in our, in our films that many times, uh, you know, as it is on the dub stage when we have dialogue and music and effects and we're constantly sharing the storytelling, um, this seemed like an opportunity not to pass up, especially when I was working with Shannon, who was really a master at it. Oh, thank you. Shannon, I can imagine, you know, when, when we're on the dub stage, it's always, it's not, it, well, maybe it's a running joke when we just lower the music track and, and we just have our effects <laughs> channel. In this case, it's like that, that, th these are kind of like, these are, that's part of this series. So yeah, what were your yeah. thoughts when you found out about this? That was my immediate reaction was like, wait, no music, no dialogue. <laughs> what? <laughs> so yeah, it was a great way to, to be able to feature so much great work that had been done that sometimes doesn't get the spotlight or, you know, as David was saying, it's sometimes done so well that people just don't think about it because, you know, it sounds right to them. So it seemed like a, a really fun opportunity to feature a lot of great sound designers and their past work. That was just a lot of, you know, interesting stuff to hear in isolation. So, uh, David Best, when, when you first maybe got the green light and they said, all right, you have carte blanche of maybe the Disney library, where does one even start to come up with themes? How did you guys start to structure? Because in the first season, there's 10 episodes and, you know, there's like water, cityscapes, discovery, flight. Like there's pretty some, some broad subjects that you know that you're going to find enough material to build, you know, a six, seven minute piece. But how, like how far down the rabbit hole did you end up going? <laughs> well, I think, you know, kind of like you said, there were some uh, themes and topics that just seemed pretty clear, like flight. Um, and I think even like from from this latest season, Transformation, you know, I feel like our, you know, the legacy of, of Disney animated films, you're going to find those in, you know, all over, right? All over the canon. Um, uh, you know, I think um, it was also... You know, Amy, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but I felt like it was a little bit of a balancing act sometimes between let's try to have themes that are purely just, you know, exactly like, you know, right off the off the bat, you can tell what they are, whether it's rain or water. Um, and then we thought, well, are, are there other ones that are a little more, you know, a little more esoteric, uh, whether it's kindness, um, everyday comforts, those those being from the, this, this most latest season. But um, it really was just more letting the, clips and you know kind of guide what the themes were going to be it wasn't so much like oh let's let's come up with this theme and then try to find clips to fit it it was more like okay we have hundreds of clips here how can we separate them into categories that make sense but i don't know if do you have, do you have any thoughts on that amy i'm not no I, I think you just named a couple of my favorites that um y yes of course we have um episodes that focus on rain uh on snowscapes these wonderful sort of sounds that come from our, our incredible sound artists for those, uh, you know, sort of more on the nose themes. But then these wonderful constructs that David Best would put together, like kindness, uh, that's such a David Best thing to think of kindness as a theme. And it's there, it's in our movies. And to see it all put together, I think is very special. I, I mean, Baymax is 
when you think of kindness, I think of Baymax. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it seems appropriate. Um, so maybe you can walk through and give me an understanding of the process. So David, would you start with your, with your edit track? And then once you had, I mean, like, wh- like what was the review of the process? How did you hand it? How did you collaborate with Shannon and David and, and the rest of the sound team? Shannon made it really easy. I think <laughs> Shannon right. had the really hard part. <laughs> he does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had access to a variety of sources. Our most recent films, it was pretty consistent. You know, we had separate dialogue effects, music stem, so easy to, to send that. And, uh, but to be fair, uh, uh, I, a lot of times it was only stereo stems, uh, that I was handing over to Shannon. And sometimes it was, um, a mono effects stem. Sometimes it was just, I mean, Shannon, I'll let you go into detail on that, but really, it really came down to, um, I had the easy part, um, and uh, yeah, hats off to you, Shannon, for dealing with the mess of elements I gave to you. No, it was great. It was very organized, but um, David's right. There was a lot of variation, um, as you might imagine, You know, given the age of some of these pieces and um, the different practices that have changed over time. Um, all the recent films were pretty easy, and you know, all separated out in any format you want, but you go back a ways and, you know, you may only have one format or two formats. And, and uh, not to mention at the time we did the first season, it was difficult to access things because all, everything was closed. So we were, you know, having to go through all these channels to try and dig up, you know, old pieces of audio when nobody was at Disney (laughs) <laughs> or very few people were at Disney. Um, but yeah, we started with what David had and tried to get the best version of everything we could get for the particular clip that he chose. Started building there. Um, I can let David talk about, uh, you know, intermixing all those different formats and things. We would have reviews also um, on, you know, uh, on just reviewing either Clearview or Evercast, whatever we we needed to do to be able to get everybody in the same room and uh, and you know review the progress of the sound work um, after David finished his cuts. And so Shannon and I got to collaborate, and David and all of us actually. But Shannon and I had a lot of offline conversations about how are we going to build this and make it work? Because the first season I I mixed here in my home theater. Um, with uh, basically stone knives and bear skins, <laughs> and, uh, you know, but five uh, one in stereo for the channel and uh, for Disney Plus. Um, so we came up with a template that would include, you know, up to twenty five different versions of stems from seven one down to mono, and then you know a whole template of laying out sound effects in organized fashion. And we can get into that if we want, but you know, sound effects backgrounds and stems and it's the combination of all these things transitioning in and out that we would have many conversations about how to keep how to keep it smooth and zen like because some of these things like flying and you know some of these things can get very aggressive uh you know uh, visually as well as sonically so we had to kind of work a lot to to make sure we stayed uh you know in that mindful zen mode um, so yeah, we had access to a lot of stems and, and materials. And the other thing that, uh, we've sort of touched on is the full gamut of our movies with 58 of them now or 59, I can't 59, 59, 59 now, 
um, you know, some of them go way back to optical tracks, which we had access to, but maybe only they didn't have split stems like we do now. Uh, not even, you know, keeping music and effects together sometimes. And so on some of the earlier films, we tried to stay true to the director's vision always of what we were doing and keep it very mono, very in the center, you know, but mindful of how we're going back and forth between these materials so it didn't suddenly just jump to another you know wider format but we we were very careful to maintain the the original intent of the early films and not not just spread them around in the second season we were able to go on the lot and mix in home atmos and so that allowed a much more um you know enveloping experience but still did the same concepts so it was a lot of planning, a lot of talking, a lot of reviewing, and you know, and everybody just chipping in to make it what it is. I'd love to understand maybe uh, how authentic you are to, you know, some of these moments, because, you know, I think when you go into the tracks, you might see it's, it, it, it works for a full for a full sound, a full soundtrack with music and everything else. But when you strip things away, it might feel a little bare. So how did you guys spot these and determine we need to accentuate some moments? Like, yeah, what, what were the rules you guys came up with? Uh, Amy can speak a little bit to this, but, um, uh, one of the, you know, one of the things was just taste and, and feel. And so, um, you know, a lot of the modern films were not a problem because um, we're used to filling things, you know, out so much now and we have so much more um, capacity to do that with digital and things like that. Um, but the older films sometimes, um, you know, they would be very music driven. And in that case, Sometimes they wouldn't cover everything, you know, that was on screen or um, only a few things. And so we would sometimes embellish those moments to help them fit a little bit better. But as David said, we tried to just, you know, be tasteful about it and stick with the film and not modernize the film. And um, <clears throat> so... Uh, a little bit of that was guided by Amy, who's very good at knowing old Disney films. And uh, so it was just kind of a case by case basis. One of the other tools that we uh, that we were made sure that Shannon had was access to the Jimmy McDonald yes. library, which, you know, is the source for so much of the original stuff. The Jimmy McDonald library, having that available and that would kind of be my first like when I was trying to restructure something that was missing or not there, that would be my first stop is like, what all can I get from this library to help me, you know, um, fill this scene? 
And, and for those who don't know, Jimmy McDonald is the man when it comes to sound design in our early days. Uh, there's a, a terrific example of when the dwarves are sneaking up the stairs in Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and you hear their shoes squeaking. That was Jimmy McDonald's wallet that he was bending back and forth. This guy was incredible. And he actually took over the voice of Mickey Mouse from the original voice of Mickey Mouse, who was, of course, Walt Disney. So to be able to have that resource, because I think we were all gut checking each other on making sure, particularly when we are working with David Floor and Shannon Mills, who have contributed to the sound design and sound mixing of some of our best films, we want to respect the work of those who came before us. And so always sort of gut checking with each other. Um, are, we, are we doing something that had they done sound design to that shot originally would be perhaps how it would sound, perhaps how they too would design it. And I think Shannon did a magnificent job of that. Season one, we didn't really go any earlier than Sleeping Beauty. We were working more in the space of what we had stems for. And we went all the way back to Snow White on season two Again, knowing we were in the hands of Shannon and David Floor to do this work. But you know, when you're creating a sound design for a moment as iconic as Cinderella's dress transformation, that did not have sound to it. It had music to it. Um, you know, Shannon, I don't know what that was like for you if you want to speak to that, but I, I think you did it beautifully. And that that's a pretty tall task, I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, again, as David was saying, it's all about um, I was trying to stay true to that time period, listening to older films, how they sound, um, trying to use, uh, you know, like it's kind of a magical sequence. So kind of reviewing how old magic sort of sounded, you know, back in the day and things like that. Uh, it was a lot of homework, really. Well, and a being and listening a being, and, yeah, and, yeah. and, uh, and that would be a great guide to be able to just listen, okay, here's the way they did it. And, you know, we have to stay in that vein. It, yeah. I would say it's pretty remarkable to, to look back. I, I know David Fleur knows this, but we, we talked, spoken before about Fantasound and, and Disney's history mm -hmm. with having, you know, not only their hand in, in the visuals and, and animation, but in sound and pushing it from mono to stereo, which, which at the time was like a big deal. And so they were doing uh, in the 40s, the early 40s, Fantasound was surround. Right. And, you know, incredible. I mean, all optical tracks and a live performance in a mixer with the mixer in a, in a theater to the idea of it was, I think, to because live audio uh, films were shown with uh, with orchestras playing along not necessarily soundtrack, but a live orchestra. And so the, the, the vibe was to, re, you know, recreate for an audience how that would feel so they would be feeling something that they're used to hearing and feeling. And so they created these surround tracks. Pretty amazing technology uh, for back then. Yeah, it looked like it, even going back to The Sorcerer's Apprentice, that was 38, yeah. 39, which to imagine, like, how groundbreaking that was. It just seems that mm -hmm. you guys are a continuation of this history of, of Disney having their, their hand in, 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 you know, in. Innovation really was, is, that's what's also attracted me to the studio when I joined in 2004. Uh, it, there's a lot going on under the hood here that inventions that were being done by engineers who were also storytellers and, you know, craftspeople who were helping the, animators tell stories is 
it's a whole nother conversation, <laughs> but uh, it's very attractive to those of us, especially in sound, we've witnessed the innovation and the, the, the ability to tell stories in new ways to where we are now. It's been exponential, right? And uh, so, and even in our little, our Zenimation world, we've gone from very small to, you know, home Atmos. So it's kind of <laughs> very cool. Yeah. Were there any um, surprises, even for you know David Best, when like covering on you know turning over some of these rocks and realizing that maybe something that you thought was going to work didn't work, or like what were some of the unexpected kind of unforeseen aspects of putting these stories together when it comes to you know creating themes and creating like an interesting sonic like tapestry for these episodes? Well, I think Amy mentioned one of the best examples. It was the same for me, you know that that scene from Frozen when the main characters are walking through the snow and, and for the, but I felt the same way. I'd seen that scene countless times. And for the first time, I was like, Oh, I can hear their footsteps in the snow. And that's a wonderful crunchy sound that they're making. It really was just like a different experience. I think there were a handful of, of scenes like that. Uh, a few stand out, uh, one in particular, little mermaid, the opening sequence of little mermaid, the, the opening title sequence, um, you know, the, 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 the score is very prominent in that, you know, which, which makes sense. And you understand why they did that. Um, and it works of course. Um, but just removing it, uh, suddenly, oh my goodness, I'm hearing bubbles and I'm hearing, you know, the sound of fish moving through the water. Um, things like that. I, I think one of my other favorite examples is actually, uh, from one of the movies that Shannon did sound design for Big Hero 6. Um, and it's also a scene that I think for me was just like the perfect, you know, example of, of what we could do with animation. And it's when Baymax and Hero, after having that great, glorious, um, victorious flight through San Francisco, and they stop for, for a rest on top of one of those big, uh, it looks like a blimp, but I think it's like a big air processor up in the sky. And they just sit there and watch the sunset. And, um, you know, just... It, I, th I think there's a little bit of underscore in that scene in the film, but, you know, even just removing that underscore and just being able to focus on the sound effects to the point where you just hear, you know, Baymax's feet going like that when he's imitating Hero doing that, you know. Um, and the fact that they're just there soaking in the environment and, like Amy said, you know, a, a mindfulness moment, you know, they're just taking in their environment. Um, yeah, those those kind of, oh, maybe one more example that really stood out was, especially because it's such an iconic Disney animated scene is the opening to The Lion King, you know, Circle of Life. I mean, my goodness, when you think of Lion King, that song, at least for me, it just pops into my head, right? But when you, again, and it's it's a masterful scene. I mean, it just, with that music, uh, incredible. Um, but just to experience it differently when you remove that, for me, again, it was like, oh, my goodness, I'm hearing the sound of all these different creatures, birds' wings flapping, you know, and it's all there, of course, but just to let it have kind of take center stage. Yeah. You know, so many, so many times when we're working on the films, we don't really know what music is going to stay in and what music's going to go away. I mean, main title, you can be pretty sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, there are moments where um, – we're going to take the music out suddenly and all of a sudden there's got to be coverage. And so sound designers, I mean, Shannon could speak to this, but we're, you know, anything that moves gets a sound has to be created by 
you know, a fabulous uh, Foley artist like John Rush, who's in a, a lot of our movies, or, um, you know, sound editors and designers that create the full soundscape, imagining that there's no music there. And then when we do have music, it's a matter of what we take away, what needs to take away, what needs to trade off, and that's mixing, you know. Uh, those are the choices we constantly make. But in the newer films especially, we had access to those things to be able to flesh them back out again and, uh, and uh, see the original vision of the sound designer. And Michael, I think you were kind of asking, was there anything we wanted to do and couldn't? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll just say we have sort of one slightly wild episode of season one called levity where we were like let's let's do a funny episode let's see if that works in this asmr and i love that um that because it gets to highlight two of my favorite scenes in our recent films and one is uh from big hero six from shannon david's work on big hero six with the air escaping baymax's arm and talk about highlighting sound design outside of animation just watch big hero six and pay attention to how much sound is part of what makes Baymax's character. From the moment he and Hero meet each other in Hero's bedroom for the first time, and the squeaking sound he makes as he slowly edges his way to meet Hero, um, to that moment in the police station, uh, and then low battery Baymax falling on the staircase too. <laughs> sound is such an important part of that. Um, and also in that levity episode, the classic sloth scene from Zootopia, um, to just listen to that as you watch that, that that scene just kills no matter what. It's just brilliant. This is the one at the, uh, at the DMV, is that right? Yeah. Exactly right. The slaw scene in the DMV. To, to do that in a levity episode was really fun. So David Bess and I did try for a while during the making of season two to, to do a villains episode. And... It just, and the, it turns out a lot of times these very dark characters will make very pleasant sounds. <laughs> we were like, I think we have something here. But just in the spirit of the audience that we're hearing from on social media and what they get from this show, we thought, I don't think we can give them villains. I think they're tuning into this for a myriad of reasons to appreciate our sound and visual artists, but also for mindfulness, I don't think we can throw bad guys at them. So maybe season three, maybe we'll do it then. So, okay. Oh. So with that, that's my question. Okay. So David has this idea, you get greenlit for season one, and then yeah. you share with the, with the community, with the fans, and they say, this is fantastic. And all of a sudden, you know, almost like less than a year later, you're working on season two. So what did you learn from season one? that maybe you applied to season two or you wanted to do differently? Like what, what was the takeaway from season one? Well, two things, this team put together by audience demand for season one, kind of a, a full journey episode where you, you press play once and you see all the episodes put together. So from the get-go of season two, we knew we wanted to have the individual episodes as well as that one long form episode because that's what people were asking for uh, because they were enjoying how unplugged and how tuned into these visuals and sounds they could be. So that was definitely something from the get go. Uh, anything else you guys that you have? Surprises. Uh, there were a few cases or maybe only one where um, we didn't have an effects only track. So uh, I, I, I had an effects music track and uh, it, it was a lot of R&D of trying to rebuild, you know, this short section of a film from like the Jimmy, Jimmy McDonald library 
and anything I could find <laughs> where they might have gotten sound and other archives and things, and even parts later in the movie where I could steal isolated, you know, sounds and, and try to rebuild this short little piece of a scene. Um, that was probably the, the biggest surprise I had when, when going through that. You know, Shannon handed me a, just a beautiful palette to work from, you know, and by the time it got to me, transitions to me were the hardest things um, because we didn't want them to be jarring. We didn't want them to be a sudden change of gear, like all of a sudden it's something else. It had so these big, long, you know, so using, you know, various techniques and sometimes some were more successful than others with, you know, going in and out. Um, and we also had a ding at the front and end of each episode that um, is a bell being hit. And uh, so we had to be very mindful of not hitting people over the head with that, so to speak, and being gentle, but yet, you know, it was a big long reverb tail on it and it would extend forever. And then we had to take those out when we put the long play together. So the transitions are the thing that really are a thing of beauty to me in terms of how they all go together. And, and uh, amazingly enough, they all kind of flow together like one. Who's who's OK? That's a great point. Who's the meditator in the group? Who knows that that's the end of <laughs> of our meditation session and we're now wrapping up? Who knew that? I I knew that, but I think it was probably David's idea. David Best. I'm not yeah, sure. I'm, I'm definitely not an expert on meditation nor on mindfulness. Um, <laughs> But um, I was just aware that that was something that you do before you meditate. And, and I, what I, what, from what I've been told, I, I, again, I'm no expert, but I think the idea is to sort of literally clear the air, sort of like, okay, take a deep breath, that kind of thing, you know. You know, watching this at home where, you know, because it is on Disney+, Plus, majority of people, you know, we're never going to have a chance to see it in a theater. I'd be, I'd, I would love to see this in a theater, a proper theater setting with a huge screen. But most people are going to watch this in their homes where I feel like there's a lot of distractions. And the thing I, I, I experienced myself even last week, like I was sharing before, is like sharing it with your family. Like you get drawn into it in a way that you listen more intently than I, I think you otherwise mm -hmm. would do because – it is so the dynamics and what you're building in your soundtrack are so unique. So I love to understand, you know, even David Floor and David Bass. Yeah, how do you building dynamic? Like quiet isn't always something that people want to do. So yeah, how did you guys build the dynamics in the, in the track? You know, first of all, for me, just uh, you know, being aware that a lot of people are going to be listening on headphones, and I my understanding is that people did listen on earbuds in bed or before bed, even just to the track. Um, and so I mixed five one, but also stereo um, using headphones, and I'm not used to doing that theatrically at all, right? Uh, and so there was some some challenges there for me, um, going you know g getting it all to work in here. Yeah, uh, David Best, I, um, I feel like something that kind of stitches scenes to scenes is maybe some atmospheres or winds or moments that kind of bridge and those gaps like how, how did you make it so it wasn't like the heart like it didn't feel like a hard cut how did you orchestrate some of the the, the transitions how, what, what was the combination well again that is that's all shannon and and mr fleur because uh you know again i that was the thing too it was so i felt really lucky knowing that these guys were going to take it over because it kind of gave me the freedom to focus more on the, the juxtaposition between pictures and sometimes knowing that, oh, we're going from Ryan the Last Dragon to Bambi. 
for like, for example, in the rain episode. Um, and just, I, it was really nice knowing that, okay, I can just focus on finding those visual, those visual links and, and try to make those as smooth as possible, knowing that these guys were going to deal with the audio. I mean, I think in the first season, I tried to be a little more mindful of that and not having really jarring, you know, a juxtapositions as far as sound goes. But I have to admit, knowing that, uh, David and Shannon were going to be taking it, uh, after me, I really felt like, oh, I can just let them figure it out. Um, and I, you know, and I got a, one of my favorite examples of that is in, is in the, the, uh, the rain episode where you go from Ryan, the last dragon to a shot of Bambi. It's raining in both scenes. Uh, I mean, what's the, what's the span of years between those pictures and, and the audio dynamics and, and these guys made it sound like you're, it, there's a difference, but you still feel like you're in the same world and it feels that way throughout the whole episode you're going through all these different eras of filmmaking and you, and 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 as david pointed out earlier there the it's cool to hear the subtleties of 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 the of the dynamics of sound and 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 how they tried to be true to the the period of when that film was made but at the same time you still feel like you're in this this sort of complete sort of cohesive world of, of sound at the same time. So it's really those guys. <laughs> well, th that's one trick we did do. Uh, uh, we, we used um, ambiences throughout each piece to kind of be more of a glue for transitions and, and for the piece itself, you know, like with rain, we tried to make real long transitions and we would sometimes add rain um, specifically either for um, a surround effect or for a transition effect to help bring us in and out of these pieces that are, you know, from very different time periods, um, which David also helped with, you know, in the mixing process. Well, I, you know, I had several reverbs going, <laughs> which help with long tails sometimes to be able to grab onto something and gently transition so that you're not aware of it. But you know, those, those are all tools we normally use for those kinds of things. One of the hardest things to do, um, you know, Disney Plus has a, has a delivery spec that you got to hit that's usually based on dialogue. <laughs> we didn't have any. And uh, so that was a challenge. Uh, I don't want to make it about the technical stuff, but that was just another thing we had to deal with um, in order to deliver it so that it would play correctly at home. Yeah. Well, first of all, Michael, I, I'm sure you can tell that this team is just so hard to work with because it's all me, 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 everybody. I mean, talk about such a wonderful group of people to get to work together on something like this. And I will say we were thinking of the audience during season one. You were, you were talking about the audience. Season two, we really had them in mind, of course, because we had heard from them. And there were a couple of things that happened on season one that stuck in our minds making season two that I think were really profound. One was the sound community. It was so cool to see and, you know, and hear <laughs> from the sound community, uh, their response to this, that I think that meant the world to us. And then secondly, and something that we couldn't have predicted that was so wonderful was the Walt Disney Company has a really active children's hospital program. And Zenimation is now on the app for those kids who are in hospitals and their families. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's an audience that I think just gives us all goosebumps that we're able to provide this to, and hopefully it provides, 
you know, some sense of comfort or relaxation in their days. So I think we had all of those people in mind when we were making season two. Yeah, I, I think that's, I'm glad you brought that point up because, you know, I think when David Best had the initial idea of this seems really cool, maybe there's more to it. Let's see how long that tail is and how far we can stretch this. And, and you know, I can just imagine that as we kind of, um, I don't know, expose people to other aspects of the Disney, you know, this, of this universe of, you know, sound and, and just every, you know, the sound, just like all the, the layers that are be, being put into these films that there's, there's more stories to tell and not all the stories have to be so dialogue or music, which, which is like a weird thing to say, but like, this just proves, which is, I don't, I can't really think of like, the only thing that came to mind was like Wally. Like was like the only character of like nonverbal, like he doesn't talk. He just like makes noises, which Ben Burt, you know, like just, you know, was a masterful uh, class on that. So it doesn't happen very often, I guess. Like yeah, let's talk about animation. Uh, I think one of the reasons so many of us fell in love with animation is nothing is given to you, especially sound. Everything is created by the hands of the artists. And so to me, it, it is mind blowing that this most collaborative of art forms, we have over 900 people right now, including David Fleur and Shannon Mills working on Encanto. And that 900 people's different visions and different artistic aesthetics come together to create this one piece of art is incredible. Um, and that there is no sound that you accidentally picked up on a mic that comes to you. It is completely designed by these artists. I think it's something that hopefully Zenimation puts a magnifying lens on. You know, it's sort of a requirement because these films take three to five years to make generally when you're talking about the feature films. You gotta have, the, the people involved really have a different mindset in terms of being able to get along with each other. And certain films were on and off in, in six months and we tolerate, but this is really requires people to be uh, collaborative. And when you, when you step back and you realize that you know, I was looking over the fence, uh, what I used to say, looking over the fence at Disney Animation for many years in awe of the culture and, you know, the, the beauty of, you know, the diversity and just the storytelling. And then to be finally invited in just kind of makes me extremely grateful to be a part of this team. And, and, uh, and you know, we can walk down the hallway and sit with David Bess and talk about how can we make, you know, how can sound help this story and how can a picture cut maybe make an adjustment? You got a great sound moment. I mean, these are things that don't happen that often, you know, so it's pretty amazing. That's awesome. Are there any um, things, uh, I was wondering, like, like when you mentioned Frozen, are there things that were maybe considered music that are now treated as sound? Like I was thinking in Frozen of like, um, uh, of, um, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't pronounce her name, Ina Moselle. Oh, Adina Mazel. Adina Mazel. Oh, let me try this again. <laughs> we like to call her Tony Award winning. Tony Adina Award winning. Yeah. All right, let me take it back. Let me take it back. So, uh, what did John Travolta call her? He called her Adele Disney. Oh, jeez. All right, well, I guess let me, let me rephrase. Let me reset this up. Are there any? Is, was there anything in the project that was considered music, or, th or maybe that wasn't considered, you know, a sound that is treated as a sound, or or interpreted visually that was visually represented, and now like you're representing with sound. There were so many things in that film that uh, Odin Benitez, the, the supervising sound editor, created, like for the Northern Lights, um, and you know some of those environments that just were tonal. Um, I'm not sure we have any of it featured 
in any of the specific scenes we took, but I mean, there was a lot of that in Frozen. I mean, look, there's a blurred line in almost all the crafts now between, you know, music and sound design and sound design and music. Some people are using similar tools and things. But um, let me think about this to see if there was anything that we actually have in Zen. Idina Menzel does do a guest star role in Zenimation season one, let's not forget. Uh, you do hear Adina, uh, Tony Award-winning Adina <laughs> Um During Frozen 2, Bruni, the little salamander, jumps into her hands, and it's hot. Uh, so yeah. you hear Adina go, pow, pow. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's, some, there's some guest starring roles in Zenimation. Um, there, I remember back on that film, we created this sort of uh, chant-like, oh, oh, kind of thing um, for for this um, like ceremony that happened with spinning stones and things. And that I think could be mistaken for music. So David Best, well, one of the questions that does not even relate to sound is the visual aspect ratio. We're talking about going from old school four, three, when TVs were square tubes to, you know, the 16 by nine aspect ratio and beyond. How did you determine, because it jumps frame shot to shot where we're seeing the aspect ratio shift around what's your take on it? Yeah. Well, you bring up a really, uh, you know, a valid point. And I think that there are times, to be honest, where it's a little jarring. I don't think most viewers are used to seeing that, right? So if you have a, a scope film uh, that's, you know, uh, you're watching on a monitor or your TV, uh, I think, you know, most, I think if, if you're, I should rephrase it. If you're having a montage or, or something like Zenimation where you're going from varying aspect ratios from a square to a really wide aspect ratio, like CinemaScope or 2.35. Yeah. I think the tendency, most people will be like, well, why don't you blow up the image or crop the image, resize it so that everything is consistent and it fills the screen. Because I think there's this, there's this thing where, you know, you know, I, I have, this is my favorite subject. I love to get into discussions with people about this because people are like, well, I don't want to see those black bars. I don't want to see the, the, I, I want, I want the, the screen to be filled with an image. Well, I think if you look at a monitor as not so much as something that has to be filled, but like a, like a canvas almost maybe. So that, you know, um, uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself to be specifically. Yeah. We decided to just kind of, um, be, to keep everything framed within a cinemascope frame because that is the widest, biggest aspect ratio, right? And most of our recent films are designed for that. And it just kind of made sense to then frame everything else within that. So if you've got a shot of Bambi, yeah, it's going to be like a square image there. And, and then if you follow it with a shot from Frozen, it's suddenly going to go like that. That being said, I, you know, we tried to every now and then do some little trick transitions to kind of smooth that out. But um, it's tricky. I think the main thing really is we wanted to be uh, respectful of the original image. You know, we didn't want to have to crop off something that, you know, again, to, you know, to Amy's point about these films and the artistry that goes into them, um, you know, all the thought, like no nothing is by accident. Every single thing you see in that frame, someone had to think about it. And, and put it there. And it wasn't just they thought it and did it. Like there was a lot of debating, a lot of, you can you can be guaranteed that that what you're seeing on the screen took a lot of thought and a lot of effort. So I just thought, I just cannot feel good about cropping off some of that image. Like just show it all. So I would rather have a little bit of jarring every now and then 
You know, it's the same concept, David, that we were talking about with sound, because in season two, we're full home Atmos. And we decided to not, it's the same concept, just with different frequencies. <laughs> we're, with sound, we're not going crazy with this in, this in the older stuff where the aspect ratio might be different. We're also making the sound match, but it's like you say, the transitions in and out. If we had put a large plosive sound effect on each one of those aspect changes, it would feel completely different because we'd be pointing that out or making something out of it. But I think the combination of sound and picture and the, and the transitions all work to make it work. That's awesome. Um, I'd love just maybe close out with maybe one of the unexpected or favorite. You mentioned Baymax with, you know, the air coming out of him. Well, what were some of the other, like when you're digging through the tracks and you're just like, you, un, un, you can't believe that that's the sound that was associated with one of the characters, one of the moments. You, yeah, maybe uh, David Best, what, what, what's your favorite moment? Well, the one that comes to mind, and um, it was something that I had not noticed, but it's it's there actually in the original sound design, and you can tell that it was designed and mixed to to be to to have the power that it does. And um, uh, it, it's the one that pops into mind is from Tarzan when uh, Jane and Tarzan are meeting each other for the first time. There's really no dialogue. All you hear, they're up in a tree, right? All you really hear is the is the sound of rain around them, and it's gentle rain. Right. It's not it's not like a lot of thunder. It's just gentle rain. And they, they, they put their hands together and Tarzan realizes as he puts his hand against Jane's. That, oh, he's 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 human. He's they're the same in that way. And it's at that moment that you hear a, a thunderclap, a little bit of lightning in the background right at that moment. And to me, that is just like, gosh, talk about, you know, great, great sound design. Um, and and that and I and, and nothing to take away from what Shannon and David did as far as embellishing or bringing out. But I think to me, that's an example too of just great sound design in our movies that is already there too. Yeah, what about you, Amy? <laughs> the opportunity to connect in a different way with the films that maybe formed your love of Disney animation to begin with. In my case, that's the late eighties, early nineties. So some of the sound design from Aladdin, Little Mermaid, Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, these four films that we watched over and over and over again on VHS and then DVD. And, um, to, to hear some of those sound designs um, really for the first time uh, was such a wonderful experience. And I, I would encourage everyone to consider Zenimation almost an entryway. Watch the show and then on Disney Plus, watch these films and watch the films with your ears open to the sound design. It really is incredible to re-experience these films that way. That's, yeah, fantastic. Uh, Shannon, what about you? I I enjoyed the uh, episode Snowscapes because it was so quiet. It was a very like calm, you know, low level, but serene atmosphere, like just throughout the whole thing. I think that was one of my favorites to work on and just just to watch and listen to. That's awesome. What about you, David? Well, it's hard to really pick a favorite because it's all about the storytelling. You know, kindness, I think, was one of my favorites uh, just because of the, the feel from it. I one of honestly, one of my, you know, there's so many specific things like from Atlantis. I had no idea that sound design was going on under there. And I was like, I was just blown away. It's just gorgeous. 
But um, a tribute to the artists, too. I mean, I got to see, you know, we were looking at very high resolution images that, uh, you know, just you start to see the artistry of so much hand drawn and then, you know, the later technology and the combinations of all that. Um, just gorgeous stuff and, and people putting everything they have into it. So it's a real that to me was a big takeaway. Just the, the, the landscapes and and the artistry and the characters is just gorgeous well if there is a season three i would love to see an episode dedicated to eating sounds just all the characters eating just (laughs) pumba like winnie the pooh like all the different characters chewing asmr eating sounds yeah That'd be really appropriate for the pandemic because I think we all had COVID. You know, just every moment that a character is eating on on screen, I think that could be a really, it'd be more of a, it'd be more of a a gag reel than anything. But anyway, that's my pick. (laughs) That's a good pun. Yeah. Well, Amy, David, Shannon, and David, thank you guys so much, not only for your time, but for putting, putting the time into the series. I, like I said in the beginning, I couldn't believe it when I watched it the first time I still can't believe that it's a real thing because we don't always have the opportunity to just listen to the sound uh just experience you know the soundscape that all these sound artists have done over the years even going back to Jimmy McDonald and um, I just feel like it's such a treat and such a, a treasure so yeah thank you guys so much thank you thank you thank you, thank you, thank you Michael